Welcome to East Hills Alliance Church. Real people experiencing real change because of a real Savior. Before we dive into Scripture and the message this morning, just a reminder that this summer, uh, well, starting June 1st, which I am not entirely sure how this happened, but that's Tuesday. Tuesday is June. I, I don't know. But uh, Tuesday is June. So starting June 1st, as a church, uh, we're going to be reading through the New Testament together. It's about three chapters a day. Uh, we'll carry us through almost to the very end of August, uh, to the last Sunday in August. Uh, we'll start in Matthew and just read through. Uh, and we have an opportunity to kind of do that as a group and talk about it virtually if you want to. Uh, the Version app has a New Testament in 90 days reading plan. If you want to just do the plan, you can get the Version app in and do their plan, New Testament in 90 days. The picture uh, looks like that. Uh, you can do that. Or if you go to our website and click that link or the link that came to you in the email, uh, if you're on our email list, that will get you part of the group. And then not only do you have the plan uh, of reading your three or four chapters every day, but there's also a space to leave a comment or to read others' comments of what is God talking to you about? What are you learning? What are you observing in the scriptures that we, we read? And we can kind of do this together uh, in, in that way. Uh, if you're not app savvy or just don't feel like being app savvy, there's also a paper version. Uh, this little bookmark uh, is available in the back. Or uh, if you just want to start at Matthew 1 and read about three chapters a day, you'll, you'll, you'll stick with us pretty much. So you can keep that in mind as well. And I, I suppose it's worth asking or answering the question of why. Why are we doing this? Why would we want our church together to read through Scripture? Why is it important to us that we try to develop some sort of routine of, of diving into Scripture? Uh, one reason, we spent some time earlier this year talking about story and about the story of the universe that God is writing, and the Scriptures are the story they're the story of the universe up until about 2,000 years ago, and they're the story of the launch and the beginning, the incubation period of this church movement that we're still a part of. And so to know that story and be steeped uh, in, in that story is important and, and helps us understand where our story fits into the context uh, of the larger story. Uh, also because, as we've been talking about this is how we get to know the heart of God. We don't want to just know about God, know some interesting information. I suppose if we did, we could just read some good theologians that we trusted or, or the songs we sing and maybe even listen to on the radio teach us some interesting things about God and his character, some of the things we were just talking about and singing about. But how do we know that those things are God's character? How do we know that that theologian is telling us things that are true? Well, it's because we can verify it with the words God has given us. We can uh, verify it through Scripture. We, uh, this, this is the vehicle through which God has chosen to uh, reveal his heart, his love for the world to us. Uh, so we've got knowing the story and knowing our place in it. We've got uh, understanding and growing in our learning and knowing, knowing of God's heart. And because we want to establish some good habits 
whatever our uh, religious background, in fact, any religion in the world, uh, any sort of self-help structure in America in the 21st century is built around the idea of good habits. And there's reasons for that. And we want to establish good habits in engaging in our relationship with God. In fact, any relationship should have good habits built into it. And when it doesn't, you start to see it in the relationship. So uh, in a marriage, we want to build good habits in place of how we care for each other and communicate that, that love and care for one another. In our relationship with our kids, uh, I encourage parents to make sure that however many children they have, that they have some opportunity to get one-on-one -on -one time with their kid on a regular basis to build in those habits to that relationship. With our friendships, uh, your friendships are going to go better if you are regularly in some way spending time together, communicating with one another. You may have that friend who uh, you don't see them or talk to them for five years and you get back together and you just pick up right where you left off and that's awesome to have those friendships. It's more awesome to get to talk to them more than every five years. So uh, building good habits in even our coworkers and, and work relationships. All of these things we can see, well, yeah, of course, we need to have good habits for how we build those relationships. The same is true of our relationship with God. And we have a churchy phrase for good habits for our relationship with God. Uh, and I'm gonna tell you that churchy phrase, and uh, it may make you twitch a little bit. Maybe I am the only one, and so we'll talk about me for just a second. But the churchy phrase is spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines. See, I've been practicing saying that without twitching, so you didn't see me twitch. I'm twitching on the inside, and here's why. Something about spiritual disciplines, um, well, a couple of things happened to me, I guess. One is it makes me think of all these activities around being a Christian that make me feel like I'm being graded. Like there's this right way to do it, and I just need to check all the boxes, and if I just perform correctly, then I'm a good enough Jesus follower, and I don't love that feeling. And then the second one is just in general the word discipline. I'm just not a fan of, uh, as I talked about before. I like rules, and I also definitely have this rebellious streak in me that does not like the word discipline or anything that comes with it. I'm not particularly good at establishing good habits. It's hard for me. And then when I somehow combine that with, well, my worth as a Christian is tied to how well I establish these habits, my, my ability to be a pastor is attached to, do I do these habits as well as other people around me or better? Then I get all kinds of messed up. I, I went to uh, George Fox University for college, and I happened to then go to the same school as a man named Richard Foster. He was there about 40 years before I was, and in the interim of that 40 years, he wrote a book about spiritual disciplines that's kind of the ultimate book on this in, in modern context anyway. So if you want to know more, you can look up the Celebration of Discipline, Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. So Richard went to George Fox a few decades before I did, and it was a big deal when I was at George Fox that Richard Foster had gone to our school. And so we talked about disciplines and spiritual disciplines a lot. Maybe that's true at every Christian college, but for sure at mine, uh, here's this guy who came from the same faith tradition as the school, went to the school. So we talked about it a lot. And, and I had had some fairly high expectations of myself going into school of what it was going to be like when I went off to Christian college. 
that I, I was gonna, whatever had been holding me back in my relationship with Jesus in my public high school, those influences were gonna be gone now. I was gonna be around other Jesus people who were gonna help me, and, and we were all gonna do the Jesus habit things together. And, and I don't know if I had any idea what I thought that meant or what I meant by that, but I was just sure my, my faith was gonna be so much better and my habits, my spiritual disciplines were gonna be so much better because I was going to this Christian college. I was just gonna be immersed in this Christian environment. And in many, many ways, I was. But it turns out that the things that were holding me back in my public high school had very little to do with my public high school and a whole lot to do with me. <laughs> and I went with me when I went off to college. And so, I know, weird. And so all of those things that were holding me back also went with me. My inability to establish good habits, my struggles in my relationship with God. It was still difficult and still is to this day in, in many, many ways. So what do we mean by spiritual disciplines? I'm gonna give you Foster's list and then we'll talk more about this some this morning, but just to get an idea of when we say spiritual disciplines, what kinds of things are we maybe talking about? Foster lists meditation, prayer, fasting, study, simplicity, solitude, submission, service. He got way into S's somewhere in the middle of his book. Confession, worship, guidance, and celebration. Uh, there are others we could put in this as, as well. Uh, I was telling somebody the other day, Throwing things away is a spiritual discipline, and maybe that's what he means by simplicity, uh, remembering that we don't have to be attached to that particular object, uh, that it's okay to admit we're never going to use that thing, especially in churches. But I don't, a little behind the curtain, I don't know if you know this, churches hold on to everything, and occasionally we just have to have the spiritual discipline to go, yeah, we're not going to use that again, and, and out it goes. So... Different things mean spiritual disciplines, and, and we want to build that up and, and talk about it a little bit. But I also want to talk about why we maybe struggle with this, because I, I know that it's not just me who struggles to establish these good habits. I, I know that as I went through school and we're talking about all of these spiritual disciplines and these ways that we can spend more time with God, these ways that we can grow our relationship with God is I would struggle with those and I would fall short of whatever I thought I expected it to be. I, I would feel like a failure. I'd feel like, what am I doing at this Christian college trying to get a degree to go into ministry and I can't even convince myself to get out of bed in the morning. Okay, let's be honest. Sometimes I couldn't convince myself to get out of bed in the morning early enough to go to class, let alone early enough before class to spend some time with Jesus to get my day started. What's wrong with me? How come I can't do this the way that I'm clearly supposed to? And on the one hand, that is literally insane. Like if I believe that there is a God who wants to spend time with me, and whether my actions reflect it or not, I do. There's a God who wants to spend time with each and every one of us to say, eh, I'd rather sleep, or eh, it just sounds too hard. Eh, I don't know, maybe that's a little boring. I mean, that's, that's insane. The God of the universe wants to spend time with us. And I go, oh, I don't know. I don't know. So let's, let's actually start there this morning. Before we dive too much deeper into spiritual disciplines, let's start there. And it's the first notes in your outline if you want to fill those in. God wants to be in relationship 
with you. God wants, desires to be in relationship with you. We mentioned this last week from Romans 8. You are adopted as God's child. That for anyone and everyone who has said yes to following Jesus, who said, yes, I believe that Jesus is Lord and God has raised him from the dead, Scripture tells us that God has adopted us as his children, not forced to. Nobody's forcing God to love you. God is choosing to. God chooses to love you, chooses to adopt you as his child. You are not an accident. He's not up there dismayed or disappointed that that you somehow said yes to following Jesus and now he has to bring you into his family. That's his desire. He wants to do that. God wants to be in relationship with you. You are chosen to be loved. And God wants your heart, not your performance. God wants your heart more than he wants your performance. Does he want obedience? Yes. But obedient actions without an obedient heart is pointless. With my own kids, I I don't want them to, to just do what I say. I mean, I do want them to do what I say, but I don't want them to just do that. I don't just want obedient actions and then a heart that's mad at me for like. I, I want a relationship with them. I want to, to know that their heart is for me and for them to know my heart, my love is for them. And God wants the same. God wants your heart, not your performance. When we're talking about being in relationship with him, we're not talking about a bunch of boxes to check so that we can do the right religious thing or we can somehow uh, do all the things that God wants us to do. In Old Testament times, the things God wanted them to do involved sacrifices and offerings, uh, burning incense. There were all these religious things that they could do that God said, yeah, this is part of worship. Here's, here's what it's going to look like for you in your culture and context to worship me. And it could have been relationship building, but over time, they built it into being this thing where the sacrifices and offerings became more about manipulation than relationship, became more about how do we get God on our side? How do we make sure that God is okay and that we've appeased him? How do we get God to answer our prayers to do the things that we want? Not that we would ever do that today. God, God, can I just say the right six words so that you'll do the thing that I want you to do? And, And so here's what God said through an Old Testament prophet named Hosea to the people. This is Hosea 6, 6. He said, I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. He says, I I want your heart. I want to love you. I want you to know that I love you, and I want you to show love in return, to show love in our worship, to show love in how we love one another as an act of worship to God. He says, I want you to show love. He wants to love you and have your heart return that love. So if God wants to be in relationship with us, and God wants us to know his love, he's not interested in our performance, what is it that holds us back? Why is it that I and so many other people struggle with these sometimes, or often, or all the time? 
Why is it that we go through whole seasons sometimes where it feels like, God, I, I know you, you want what you want, but I just don't want it. I, I don't have any sort of scientific evidence that these are the four largest reasons. This is just my observations of my own life, things that I'm working on, struggling with, and my observations from other people's lives of, of doing ministry for a couple of decades now. The first one is I think we overcomplicate the relationship. I think one of the things that holds us back is overcomplicating the relationship. In some ways, we make too big a deal of this. We feel like we have to want to do it. We have to feel like doing it. We have to get something out of it. And if we don't, we fail. I feel like I have to wake up in the morning and I have to be excited. And I, yes, I want to spend time with God and, and I, I, I want to do all these things and I'm gonna get something good out of it so we can post it on Instagram or we can tell somebody about it and everybody will know that we did the church thing and, and I'm following Jesus and look at my relationship with God and isn't it so good? And, and if I don't want all of that and if I don't get all of that out of it, I must have done it wrong and I must have failed somehow. And, and I, I can be a very black and white person sometimes and, and it's either an A plus or an F and there's some days where I don't wanna risk the F to go after the A plus and so I just go, eh which of course is actually what it looks like to, to fail at this thing, is to just not do it. We overcomplicate this and we think, well, I, I have to be in just the right mindset. I, I have to want this so badly. And we overcomplicate it. When what God wants is for us to show up. He wants to be in relationship with us. He wants us to come with all of the mess that we are I just said, God, here, here I am. Same way that we have to do any significant and intimate relationship that we just sometimes have to show up. And we may not have the right heart or the right motivation or the right mindset. And yes, we need to work on those things. But God just wants us to continue to show up. On the other hand, sometimes I, I think we undersell this. It's not big enough that God is offering to hang out with us. God's offering to spend time with us, to be in conversation with us, both directions. And we say, eh, nah, I'm just here to read my three chapters. Eh. We underestimate God's love for us. We underestimate how great his love is for us. Could God really wanna hang out with me I'm surely God has better things to do than want to hang out with me. Sometimes it just feels safer to show up and just read my three chapters. To say, actually, I, I, I all I want to do is, is show up and read my chapters and check the boxes because maybe I'm, I'm underestimating God's love for me and, and I'm avoiding God's ask, whatever God might ask of me. Maybe God's gonna ask me to do something really hard. Maybe God's gonna ask me to give something up I don't want to or to do something I don't want to do. It seems like God really does actually believe this thing where we should love our neighbors and our enemies and all the people around us. And he might actually ask me to love that person that I really don't want to. 
So maybe it's just safer if I just show up and I read my chapters and I check the box and I don't actually talk to God about what he wants me to do. So we avoid God's ask. Maybe there's just that thing that I don't wanna talk to God about. That thing that I'd rather believe could just stay in the shadows and and I can just hide it there and I can hide it from other people and and I can hide it from God. I can maybe hide it from myself even. that, That sin or that emotion or that thing that I just don't wanna dig up and deal with. So I think, well, I just won't show up and talk to God and maybe in that way, I'll, I'll just avoid God's gaze on it. We avoid God's gaze, his deep look into our lives. As we sang earlier, God, God sees everything about us. He knows everything about us. And, and we still think, well, maybe if I just don't show up and talk to him about it, he just won't notice. Again, kind of underselling just how great God is, but also underselling his love for us. Because the reason that we don't wanna do the ask is because we don't actually believe that it would be in our best interest to do the thing God is asking us to do. The reason that we would avoid God's gaze is because we don't believe that his grace is good and sweet and better than whatever it is that we're trying to hide and keep stirred up in our lives. And so we avoid and we hold back. In our shame, or our lack of desire to be with him or, or whatever it is that I'm avoiding doing for him, I decided maybe it's just better to not show up. And all God wants us to do is show up and he'll take you from there. And the only way to really fail a relationship is to bail on the relationship. And, and when we say, well, I'd rather just hold on to my stuff or I'd rather try to hide the mess, we're bailing on the relationship God wants to have with us. Showing up with all of our mess as we are, with all of the sin we bring with us, with all of the bad motivations, with all of the past failures, that, that's not failing. That's showing up. And God wants us to show up, to, to bring our hearts to him, to say, God, here." I am for whatever it is that you want to do, whatever you want to say, whatever you want this to be about. Hosea, or God continues through Hosea. He says he wants us to show love, to to know him, not worried about the religious checking the boxes. He says, but... Like Adam, you broke my covenant and betrayed my trust. This is often the reason why I don't show up is because I feel like in some way I've broken this promise that I've made to God or I have, I've somehow failed on his promises to me and, and, and in doing so, I just go, ah, maybe I'd rather not show up. So let's actually look at the story of Adam back at the very beginning of scripture, if he's gonna say, well, like Adam, we've done this, and we've all done this. We've all somehow betrayed God's trust and broken that covenant relationship with him. Nobody is perfect. No matter how much we look around and go, oh, well, that person must be the perfect Christian because they seem to spend like four hours every morning with God, and they always get something out of it, and they always have a pretty picture to put on a background on Instagram and Facebook and make it look good. They must have it all together 
Whatever we think about the people around us, however much we think we're losing in a comparison game that we're not even supposed to be playing, we've all fallen short. Every single one of us has failed in some way to keep up our end of the deal with God. We call it sin, and we call God's response grace and mercy, forgiveness. And it started with Adam. So let's look at Adam's story, and, and for whatever reason, I think this is maybe the third week in a row that I've touched on some part of this story. So I don't exactly know what God is trying to teach me through this story, but I will just keep bringing to you guys whatever it is God is teaching me, I suppose. So in Genesis chapter two, starting in verse 15, it says, the Lord God placed the man, this is, this is Adam, Adam is the Hebrew word for man, the Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Okay, not a lot of ambiguity here, pretty clear. Tend the garden, take care of it, watch over the animals and the plants, don't eat from that tree. You get all of this, which is perfect. You get all this perfection, just don't touch the tree. We're gonna fast forward a few verses. Significant things happen in that few verses. Uh, God makes a woman, makes Eve. There are now two of them, the man Adam and his wife Eve. In verse 25, the last verse of chapter two, it says, now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Both naked, but they felt no shame. Put a pin in that. I didn't read that just so we could say the word naked in church. We're gonna keep going. It's gonna become significant in a minute. Verse three, or sorry, chapter three, verse one. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman, God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Adam replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? There was no shame at their nakedness. They had no reason to be afraid of God's gaze. And then they believed the lie that somehow God was holding out on them. 
that somehow God's love was not everything they'd experienced to be. That, that somehow there was wisdom they could get from the tree that God wasn't giving them. And so they ate and they were ashamed and they hid. God came walking in the cool of the evening. Can you imagine? I don't know that I can actually. Can you imagine getting to go for a walk with God on like the perfect spring summer evening? We've had some of those recently. I think we had one last night. It's just perfect outside and you could just go for a walk with God. That's, that's how I imagine this. God is out for a walk and he's looking for them and they're gonna get to walk with him. They had that chance and, and they chose the tree. They chose what they could take into their own hands rather than trusting God with their relationship. Trusting his love and his wisdom I listed a bunch of things earlier that make up spiritual disciplines. But I think maybe a broad category to think about this, as you think about what this may look like for you, is spiritual disciplines. A spiritual discipline is whatever it takes to choose to walk with God instead of eating from the tree. It's choosing to walk with God instead of eating from the tree. So whatever that tree is in your life, whatever that temptation is that makes you go, eh, maybe God's holding out on me and I should just make sure I get mine. Maybe life isn't everything that it's supposed to be and I should go get more of something. Whether it's comfort or lust or money or whatever and on and on the list goes, whatever it is that we say actually Actually, I, I, can, I can believe that having that thing in my life would be better than what God is telling me that's good for me. Actually, I think I might know, or this lie I'm believing, I, I might know what's better for me than God. Maybe God is, is just holding out on me. And so our spiritual disciplines are whatever it takes to choose to go for a walk with God and turn our back on the tree to say, no, I'm not believing the lie that somehow that's better. No, I'm not gonna dive into that temptation. Instead, I'm, I'm going to turn away. I'm going to do something that helps me turn away and, and choose to walk with God. Even if it's something as simple as throwing something away, to say, actually, I am not dependent on that thing being in my life. Actually, I'm not so afraid of financial scarcity that, that I, I know I'm gonna need that thing or I'm, I might need that thing 20 years from now and so I better hold on to it because who knows if, if I'm gonna be able to get the thing I need. We get so dependent on our things sometimes, which is why it's a spiritual discipline to throw things away and say, no, actually, I believe that God is going to take care of me in some way. Now, I'm not saying you have to throw everything away. There are some things you will legitimately use later, whatever. But even something that simple can say, no, I'm, I'm not gonna buy the temptation. I'm not gonna eat of this tree that says God's holding out on me and he's not going to give me enough, so I better hold on to everything I have. 
We're tempted by so many things. And whatever the spiritual discipline is, it's that discipline to choose to turn away. Another way to state this, spiritual disciplines are the discipline to prioritize well. To prioritize well. To say, these are the things that are most important to me and to act on those things. How you spend your money says a lot about what your priorities are. How you spend your time. Now, I know that for many of us, we spend more time working than we spend with our kids because of the way that life is structured for us at the moment. Okay. How are you spending the time that you get to choose how to spend? I get that your work may choose some of the time for you, but, but the time that you get to choose, how are you prioritizing that? How are you prioritizing how you use your energy? How are you prioritizing how you take care of your body? How are you prioritizing your health? How are you prioritizing how you use your time in your relationship with God? Spiritual disciplines are the discipline to prioritize well in all of these different areas. And these are spiritual because there are things God is calling us to do and be about. These are things that help improve and increase our relationship with God, help us grow in Christ-like character. Does the way we spend our time or our money show that we are growing in character, that we're making Christ-like choices, that we're living the life Jesus has called us to follow him into? It's choosing to prioritize well. Another way to look at spiritual disciplines is that it is taking the time to recognize what's true. Taking the time to recognize what is true. Adam and Eve did not take the time to recognize that what the, spirit was telling, that what the serpent was telling them was a lie. It sounded true enough, so they went with it. I'm discovering in my life more and more that if I leave these lies bouncing around in my head, these lies that tell me that somehow I deserve more or I deserve this or that or, or God's holding out on me or whatever it may be, if I leave those things bouncing around in my head personally, some people can untangle all those things in their head. I'm discovering I can't. I need somebody to talk to about it I need to write it down to get it out into a space where I can now deal with it and recognize it objectively as a lie. So I try to have a good journaling habit. And when I don't, it shows up in my life. I have somebody I check in with every week to spill out those lies and hold them out there. I have somebody I check in with, a spiritual director once a month so that I can talk it out and go, this this is the stuff that I'm dealing with with God. And, and most of the time, I don't need him to say, hey, that thing right there is a lie. I can go, here's the lies. I'm, I can even state it that way. Here's the lies I'm believing. But I'm really believing them right now. And so I kind of set them out there verbally between us and we just look at them and go, okay, but that's clearly not true. That's not who God is. That's not his character. That's not the life he's given me. That's not the things he's calling me to be about. 
So for me, it's important to take that time to recognize what's true. For you, it may look entirely different. But what does it mean to take the time to recognize what's true? It's part of why we talk about reading and memorizing scripture. We take in a lot of information. We live in the information age. All of us, not all of us, a lot of us have something in our pockets that has way more information than we should ever have in our heads. We, we're constantly, constantly given this, this information to, to deal with, to wrestle with. Even if we completely unplug from our phones, if we're driving through town, there's information flying at us. And a ton of that information is a lie. Just about every commercial out there is built on the idea that you're not enough. And if you wanna be enough, you need to do this thing or you need to buy this product. And we're constantly bombarded with that lie. And at some point, we need to take the time to recognize what is true. It's okay we gather like this once a week, an hour or two, and it is certainly our hope and prayer that what we're doing here is part of recognizing what's true. The words we sing, the scriptures we read, the things we say, we're taking the time to recognize what's true. This is an hour or two of a much longer week. So yes, gathering with others once a week to recognize what's true is great. Having community outside of this time to help you recognize what's true, people who will give you encouragement, who will challenge you, who will give you some accountability, whatever it may be, also important. And for each of us to have some sort of individual, regular habits of recognizing what's true, of diving into scripture, of taking the time to combat the lies that we're believing or hearing, we all have to have these habits built into our lives because an hour a week does not negate or cancel out the other 100 plus hours that we deal with every week. And all of that information that's coming at us. So we take the time to recognize what's true. We prioritize well based on what is true and built on what we know about what is true, we choose to walk away from the lie, turn away from the tree, and walk with God. To walk through our lives with him. So a couple of questions to answer this week. As, as you take this into your week and into your daily life. One is what will help you choose to walk with God? What will help you choose to walk with God? I mentioned the comparison game earlier. We often think, well, my relationship with God needs to look like this. I certainly had some ideas going into Christian college, and I know I still struggle with this. Of, well, if I was really a good Jesus person, if I was really a good Christian, I would do all of these things. My life would look like that person's does. And I do think there is something healthy about looking at other people who are following Jesus and going, wow, they have a better relationship with God than I do, and I, I want mine to look like that. I want my relationship with him to look like that. 
but the things we do, the spiritual disciplines they undertake do not have to look like yours. For some people, worship music is a huge part of it. For others, it's not. For some, going for a walk in nature is literally communing with God, and for others, it's like, that's a tree. I don't care. Whatever it is for you, you need to find that thing. As somebody said in our staff meeting, we were talking about this. We all need to have our relationship with God. I need to have my relationship with God, not your relationship with God. So how do you have your relationship with God? And that doesn't mean that we turn God into whoever we want him to be. Recognizing the truth of who God is, how do I engage with God? So I mentioned some things I do. What are you going to do? What will help you? Pick, pick maybe one thing this week that will help you choose to turn away from the lies and walk with God. And the second question to wrestle with, maybe a two-part question, what holds you back? What holds you back and what will help you recognize what's true? What do you need to do to recognize what's true? Is it journaling? Is it diving into scripture? Is it having people to talk to? What's gonna help you recognize what's true? True about God's love for you. True about his grace and forgiveness for you. True about how precious he sees you. The truth about who he is and who he says you are. Because these things that hold us back, these things happen because we're believing the lies about what God will do to us, about what he's not doing for us about who we are or aren't. So what's gonna help you recognize what's true? What's holding you back? And then what's the truth that combats that lie? And then what are you gonna do, built on that truth, to go for a walk with God this week? To know that he is with you in every moment and that you're walking with him. To have the discipline to choose to turn away from the tree and walk with Jesus this week. We pray with me. Father God, thank you that you are with us everywhere we go. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your love of us. Thank you that whatever mess we bring with us, whatever lies we're believing, whatever failures we bring with us, God, that as much as you want our obedience because you know what's best for us, you want our hearts. You want us to know your love. You want us to show up as we are with our joys and our victories and our defeats and our struggles and the lies. God, thank you for making a way through Jesus, through his death and resurrection for us to be in relationship with you for all of us who believe that, that Jesus is who he said he was, that he is who you say he is, and that you raised him from the dead. For all of us who believe that, we are under your grace. We can come and experience your love. We are forgiven. 
And so we show up with our mess. We show up with our sin and our failures. And we experience your love and closeness with you. Thank you for offering to walk with us. God, would you remind us this week that you are walking with us, that you are present with us, that we can turn to you at any moment. And when you give us the courage and the discipline, would you stir up in us the heart to turn away from the lies, turn to your truth and walk with you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for checking out our podcast. Find out more or connect online at easthillsalliance.org.